Do you remember as a kid being called by your parents? Called by your parents. You're outside playing and mom yells, time for dinner. Or it's just getting dark and dad calls, time for bed. Maybe you best remember the wake-up call. Time to get up. It's morning. Hit the deck. Put them on the floor. Almost without exception, I would typically have some kind of reaction. Some kind of reaction. An answer. Comeback. An excuse of some sort. Uh, Mom, I'm not hungry yet. Or, Dad, it's not really dark. It's not really dark. Morning already? What is it? Daylight savings time? It's dark. What is going on here? I'm tired. Maybe I'm, I think I'm getting sick today. Do I have to go to school? I typically had an answer or a comeback or an excuse. How many of you are like me? Had that? Okay. Typical? Okay. How many of you have a kid just like you? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at the parents as well. Always an excuse. I, I have a kid like that too. I won't say which one it is, but she's the oldest. Firstborn. A call followed by an answer. By an answer. Nowadays, a call is just as likely to come through our cell phone or message or through text. And it's easier to ignore because of caller ID. Sometimes we take a call, sometimes we return the call, sometimes we just ignore the call. Or just make excuses. Today we're going to pick up the story of Moses, Moses, his call. And before we do talk about his call, I want to talk briefly about our call, the call that God has on each of our lives. The Bible speaks about a call from God to each and every one of us. God's call to you and me will not come through a cell phone, text message, or an email. And most likely, it's not going to be an audible voice. It'd be easier if it was, but it's usually not. But God's call to us is just as real, probably more real, than any other call that we've received. So we're going to talk about the call today. First of all, our call. We find on the call that God chose us. God chose us. In Galatians 1.15, it says, But then something happened, for it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. Our call, every one of us received a call. God chose us. Then God invited us into relationship, into relationship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 in the New Living says, God who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. God calls us into relationship. And then, letter C, God has given us a mission. A mission. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. This is how you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. His purpose for him. So God's call to us includes choosing us. He chose us. 
inviting into relationship, and then giving us a mission or purpose. That's our call. How do we respond? Last week, we looked at when God shows up, the presence of God. And when God showed up, he called Moses to do something. He called Moses on a mission. Today, we're going to look at, excuse me, excuse me. Moses' response and our response many times to God's call. So let's look at it, read it in Exodus 4. Exodus, the fourth chapter, it'll be on the projection as well this morning. We're going to read most of this uh, first part of this chapter. Exodus 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. That's one of the funniest pictures I have seen in the Bible. He said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, he said, this said the Lord, is what that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into the cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what you are to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you to speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if it were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Moses was called by God and given a mission. And he raises five objections, five excuses. And I want us to look this morning at each excuse, God's answer to each excuse, and see if we can identify with Moses when God calls us. That's the question. So we had the call. Now we're going to look at the response, the response. Five excuses. Moses' first excuse we actually find in the previous chapter in 311. And he said this when God told him, I want you to do this. He said, who am I that I should go? Who am I? Who am I? After 40 years of being broken and emptied, all Moses' self-confidence is gone. God now calls him to do a job. And he says, who am I? He used to have confidence. He was really confident. He used to have all the answers. But life had taken its toll. Was it humility? 
Or was it lack of faith in God? Now, who am I is not, not necessarily a bad question. It's a good thing to struggle with God's call and ask tough questions. But this was going to be just the first in a long list of excuses. Moses no longer wanted the job. He didn't want the job. The question is, has God called you? He has called all of us into relationship with him, but God has also called on us into mission. There's a unique design and purpose behind our salvation and our calling, and God has called us to do. But if we're going to do, first we have to be. Then we can do. Be. He's called us in relationship. Be in relationship with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Develop that relationship with God. Before we can do, we must be. Many never get to mission to do because they're too distracted to be. John 15, 5, Jesus said, told us, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, developing our personal relationship with Jesus. Unless we be, we cannot do. It's not very good grammar, but it makes sense. Then full of Jesus, connected to Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, we know what to do. And then we go on mission. Our mission is to make disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out to all the world and make disciples. To reproduce ourselves. There's a, there's a sense in which all of us are to be reproducing ourselves in the lives of other people. In the physical world, God said to creation, be fruitful and multiply. Just as a physical world is fruitful, we multiply, we marry, we have children, rear children, train them, grow them up. So we're called to reproduce ourselves spiritually. And the question is, are we reproducing our, ourselves in another person's life spiritually? Spiritually. It's a mission, and we say, who am I? I, I, can't, I can't do that. And God says, you can't, but I can. What's God's answer to our excuse, Moses' excuse? God answers, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's good to say, who am I? God will answer, I'll be with you. God was about to use a person who knew his defects, Moses had no desire to lead or lord it over anybody else. Who am I was intending to be his answer so he could be excused from the mission God called him. And God simply says to him, I will be with you. Eau Claire Wesleyan Church, we have a mission. What do we say? We say, who are we? And God says, I'll be with you. The second excuse when called by God is, what if they don't know who you are? What if they don't know who you are? This is th verse 13 in chapter 3. It's, it's, what is his name? Now, if we're to, to think about that in our context today, in our mission, we say, what happens if they ask me a question I can't answer? What happens if they ask me a question I can't answer? Have you ever been talking to someone about your faith and they ask you a question you can't answer? <laughs> it 
As a pastor, it happens to me all the time, all the time. If there's a God and he's loving, how can he allow suffering in the world? If God is really a God of love, why would he send anybody to hell? If God is God, why? See, God allows, allows mankind to exercise free will. But what happens if people ask questions that we can't answer? What do we do? Or we don't know enough, we don't have enough experience, or don't have anything to say. I remember very distinctly, I was 10 years old, and we were living in Lake Mills, Iowa. Fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, and we were talking about sharing our faith in church and Sunday school. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to, there was a, a non-church friend of mine that I wanted to share my faith with. And we used to play together once in a while. And so, so I spent a couple weeks just, just getting ready and working up the courage to, to ask Rick um, a question. And so we were, we were in his yard playing catch, and I asked Rick, are you saved? He said, saved from what? I, I didn't have an answer. And so I said, never mind. <laughs> that was my first witnessing experience. It was a traumatic experience for a 10-year-old. It's like I didn't know what to say. I hadn't, I hadn't learned yet. I didn't know. None of us ever feels like we know enough about God or can answer all the questions. There will always be some question that we can't answer. But if we use that as an excuse, we'll never do anything. And let me make a confession. If I waited until I knew enough to become a pastor, I would still be in seminary. Right? <laughs> I would still be in seminary. We never feel like we know enough. There's so much more to know. But when God calls us, he gives the necessary information and tools for the job. What about questions I cannot answer? God answers it this way. I'm not limited by their knowledge or yours, neither are you. I'm not limited by their knowledge or yours, neither are you. Tell them I am, I am has sent you. It says, trust me, you have all the information you need. Excuse number three. Excuse number three. What if they do not listen or believe me? What if they do not listen or believe me? Have you ever used that as an excuse, God? I know you've called me, but if they, what if they don't believe you've called me? What happens if they don't believe I'm telling them the truth? And God tells Moses, I will give you some signs, some miraculous signs to prove your words. Now, sometimes I wish I had that staff trick. You know, it'd be really easy. You say, how do we know you're from God? Look at this. Or some other kind of miraculous thing that you can, you can show and demonstrate I'm really from God. You've got to believe me. Now, these were not stunts. God tells Moses, I will give you some signs to prove your words. Three signs. The staff becomes a serpent, the hand becomes leprous, and the Nile River water turns to blood. Not magic tricks that you'd see in Las Vegas. These are miraculous interventions by God, signs and wonders. Now, some people have a God-given capacity to believe our message without physical proofs. They have spiritual insight and sensitivity. They believe. They believe that God sent Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They believe all of those things. Others have a harder time. 
And I, I run into people, they just have a hard time really swallowing all this, this stuff. They, if they could just see, they, they might believe. Now, it's not new. One follower of Jesus named Thomas had this issue. He says, if I don't see, I will not believe. Okay? He was from Missouri. If I don't see, I won't believe. John 20, 28, it says, tells a story. A week later, uh, Jesus had showed up to his disciples after his resurrection. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas now was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had not seen, so he, he doubted that it was real. Well, we have all kinds of people in our life, and you may be in more of that category, that, that it's hard to believe unless we've seen. Many of us believed without signs, but like Thomas, they need to see something to know it's real. They need to see, and that's okay. God's prophets throughout history were given credibility by performing signs and wonders. And the sign and wonders wasn't for something dramatic. It was to validate the messenger and validate the message. Signs were not stunts. They're, they weren't to get attention, not to gain a following or start a TV ministry or to get more YouTube or TikTok followers. Signs historically have been valid acts of God to prove that the person was from God and the message was true. Some deny the existence of signs and wonders today. And some people say, you know, we don't really need all that nonsense. We have all the truth we need. Well, some people need to see that our faith works. Some people just need to see that our faith works, that God is real, God cares, God intervenes, that God actually answers prayer. We've had some incredible answers to prayer here in this church just in the last couple of weeks. Some people need to know that God answers prayer. And God backs up our claims as a messenger, a messenger of truth. Now, what, what are the signs that we see? You know, here it was the, it was the staff into a snake and leprosy and uh, water into blood. What are some of the signs that we've seen since Jesus was here? In Mark 16, 17 to 18, it talks about these signs. It says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, that's not an exhaustive list of the signs that God has done and does in the New Testament. But all of these signs that are listed in this passage are well documented in the book of Acts. Demons driven out, speaking in new tongues they never learned before. Paul was bitten by a, a viper, poisonous snake, and it didn't have any effect. People were healed. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating snake handling. There, are, there is a church on the periphery that they're called snake handlers. So don't, don't go to that church. Just, just say it. But signs validate the message, and signs validate the messenger. We know that historical incidences occurred of every one of these in the New Testament church then and now. 
God performs signs when they're needed. But what's the purpose of a sign? Exit. It points to something. What's the purpose of a sign? It points to something. All the signs point to Jesus. They don't point to us. They don't elevate us. The signs always point to Jesus and glorify Jesus. Now, do people always believe when they see signs and wonders? I've, I've had people say, if, if I could only see a miracle, if I could see an angel, or if, I, if all of this would happen, then I would believe. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? I just want to see a sign, and then I'll believe. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't always work that way. One of the most incredible miracles that Jesus performed in front of a lot of people was raising Lazarus from the dead. He had been in the tomb three days. Okay? He was, he was dead. Okay? Everybody saw that. And so he raised Lazarus from the dead. And did everybody who saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead believe? This, this is astounding to me. They see this, this person raise somebody from the dead, obviously. And you know, some who witnessed the miracle firsthand, you know what they did? They went and told their religious leaders of the day, we really need to get rid of this guy, Jesus, because now he's raising the dead. And that was, that was a week before the Passion. I mean, it's amazing. When, and then they crucified him. Uh, it's amazing. They saw that miracle. They, it didn't affect their belief at all. Some will not believe signs and wonders either. That's not the main thing. What kind of signs do we see today? We're looking for evidences of God in our life, in your life. What do people see? They see transformed lives, changed lives. They see people delivered from addictions of drugs and alcohol, pornography. They see answered prayer. You, you can tell them about the before and after, before you came to Jesus and after you came to Jesus. You can talk about answered prayer and say, I prayed for this and God answered. This is what happened. And probably the best and greatest evidence is something called love. Love. They will know we are Christians by our love. By our love. And that's a question. Do they know and they sense we are Christians by our love. The third excuse. God says, I will give you proofs. What if they don't believe me? I'll give you proofs. Now, excuse number four of God's call is letter D. I can't speak very well. I can't speak very well. He said in the 10th verse, O Lord, I have never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. About 35 years ago, in 1986, Judy and I were preparing to enter our very first senior pastorate. We had been at an extended, given an ex, uh, a call to Church at Lakewood in Tacoma, Washington. I had spent five years on the staff of two really good churches, taught, preached, led ministries, did all those things. And I was chomping at the bit to get out on my own. I wanted to captain my own ship. I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to be the primary leader and vision caster. 
And 70 people were willing to take a chance on this rookie. One day, as we were preparing to move, we were packing up, we were getting ready to move about 75 miles south of where we were. And suddenly, I got really nervous. I began to be frightened. I began to feel very inadequate. I started to ask questions. Who am I? Do I know enough? I can't speak very well. I said, God, I'll teach them everything I know in the first six months. What then? What do I do then? I mean, I was really, I was really getting paranoid. I was getting really frightened. And it wasn't like me, but it's all of a sudden the enormity of the job in front of me began to present itself. Well, I opened my Bible that morning in the morning devotions, and I've lost track of how many times God has spoken to me through his word in my morning devotions. I don't know how. I don't know how I could live without them. I had read Exodus 3 the day before. And this particular day, I was at Exodus 4. Exodus 4. And I read that. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who made him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what you are to say. Wow. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone back to read Exodus 4, 10 through 12. Thursday mornings when I'm writing my sermon, Sunday sermon, I'm feeling totally empty. What, what do I have to say? Saturday nights during the unique weekly struggle every pastor faces. Is this worth saying? Does anybody need to hear this? Is this what you really want me to preach? Or I wrote this on Thursday? What was I thinking? God, I can't speak very well. I have nothing to say. And God says, who made your mouth? I will help you speak and teach you what you are to say. If you've ever felt like me, witnessing to a spouse, sharing Christ with a friend, struggling to articulate your faith to an unbeliever, I can stand and I can testify that God is faithful. The promise he gave to Moses, the promise he gave to me is good for you today. He will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. I haven't run out of words yet. It's not because I'm a preacher or have the gift of gab. It's because God gives me something to say. And he will give you something to say too. I say this often. Minus the word of God, I have nothing to say. The last excuse, number five. Number five. Can't you find someone else? <laughs> Can't you find someone else? How many times have we said that to God? Send someone else, find another person. Anyone but me. 
anyone but me. Maxie Dunham writes this, in the Christian life, most of us do not arrogantly aspire for too much. We sheepishly settle for too little. Let me say that again. Most of us do not arrogantly aspire for too much. We sheepishly settle for too little. God wants to do great exploits through you. Don't tell him to find somebody else. God says, you're it. You're it. Our faith has a delicate balance of God's sovereignty and free will. God will never violate our free will. If we choose to live a life of excuse me, God will not impose his will on us. God has called each and every one of us to relationship and to mission. What's, what's your excuse? Verse 31. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. It worked. It worked. Even though Moses had all these excuses, ultimately he put them aside and by faith he did the job God called him to do. And God used him. God used him. Are you willing? Is it excuse me or you're it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you elevate who we are in your eyes so we can be used of you. And I pray, God, that our confidence would not be in, you, in ourselves, but it would be in you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that we would put away any excuses that we have. And God, that we would say, God, use me. Use me. You've chosen us. You've called us into relationship. And you've given us a mission. And everybody's mission is different. Whatever that is. And I pray, God, that you'll use us to demonstrate the love of Jesus. And we'll realize that of all the people and all the things that you could do, you've chosen us. And you've said to us, you're, you're it. Let's stand, shall we? with the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.